The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The 1940s were full of human experimentation. There were the Nazi experiments on unwilling Jewish Romani, Polish disabled German people, and more. Dr. Joseph Mengele's horrific experiments on twins. Nearly 1,500 imprisoned twins had dyes injected into their eyes to determine if the color could be changed. Twins were sewn together in an attempt to create conjoined twins. One twin would often be tortured while the other would be left alone as a control group. Horrific transplants were conducted. Uh, Sections of bone, muscle, and nerves would be taken from one patient without anesthesia and attached to another patient. My God. Monstrous things were done in the name of war and cold scientific curiosity. The Japanese conducted horrific human experiments in the 1940s as well. The Unit 731 experiments, a subject we already sucked. Bonus episode 13. Allied forces, POWs, Chinese and Russian civilians had limbs amputated. To study the effect of blood loss, test subjects would be saved only to have another limb removed later until there were no limbs left to remove, and then they'd finally be put out of their misery. Their scientific usefulness now non-existent. Patients, including children, were given venereal diseases, including syphilis. Uh, Some patients were infected via rape. Frostbite was tested by leaving test subjects naked in below freezing weather, and there were many, many, many other horrible things done. The United States also ran its own experiments on unwilling or unsuspecting humans in the 1940s. At the University of Michigan, researchers deliberately infected patients at a state mental institution with the flu. Inmates at the Statesville Penitentiary near Joliet, Illinois, were given malaria. In Guatemala, U.S. researchers used prostitutes to infect prison inmates, insane asylum patients, and Guatemalan soldiers with syphilis and other STDs. Uh, The team that did that was led by Dr. John Charles Cutler, who would later participate in the Tuskegee uh, syphilis experiments. Those experiments that began in 1932 and lasted for 40 years, experiments where African-Americans living in Alabama were unknowingly given syphilis and then intentionally not treated properly to study the long-term effects of the disease. And the Russians, 
They ran their experiments as well. The Soviets had poison laboratories first opened in the early 1920s that were in operation during the 1940s. A Russian scientist, biochemist, and poison specialist named Grigory Marinovsky ran a lab called Laboratory One in the 1940s that tested the effects of mustard gas, ricin, digitoxin, uh, curare, cyanide, and more on uh, Russian prisoners in order to try and find a tasteless, odorless chemical that couldn't be detected after death. And so did these same Russian scientists or perhaps colleagues of theirs also run experiments on sleep deprivation? That's what we're going to talk about today. The story goes that as the 1940s wound to a close, the Soviets sealed five prisoners in an airtight chamber and doused them with an experimental stimulant gas to test the effects of prolonged sleep deprivation. And then their behavior was monitored via two-way mirrors and microphones. They were uh, promised freedom if they could make it for uh, 30 days with no sleep. The longest continuous period of not sleeping uh, someone has ever accomplished prior to the experiment, uh, at least the uh, longest scientifically monitored period of sleep deprivation, was 264.4 hours. And that actually was uh, not prior to the experiment. That's uh, so far, so far in recorded kind of scientific history. 11 days and 25 minutes. It was accomplished uh, in the 1960s, accomplished by a high school student named Randy Gardner in San Diego, California. Uh, The Guinness Book of World Records actually refused to acknowledge this record because it considers long-term sleep deprivation dangerous and doesn't want to encourage people to try and break the record, which is weird to me considering you can set a record in recording your breath uh, or in sorry, in holding your breath for the longest time underwater uh, or in swallowing the most swords simultaneously. How are those records less dangerous than not falling asleep? Uh, If you're curious, 29 swords at once. That was set by Dan Meyer before a live audience at Ripley's Believe It or Not Auditorium in St. Augustine, Florida, March 28th, 2015. And this is crazy to me. 24 minutes, 3.45 seconds. That's how long someone held their breath continuously underwater. That was Alex uh, Segura Vendrell, Barcelona, Spain, February 28th, 2016. I would die in five minutes. I don't even understand that. Anyway, Randy Gardner suffered no ill effects after 11 days of continuous sleep deprivation, often needing, uh, you know, or other than needing just a little more sleep than normal the next few nights. But what would 30 days do to somebody? In 1989, a sleep deprivation study was carried out on 10 rats at the University of Chicago. And by day 32, all the rats were dead. So did the five Russian test subjects die as well? How did their behavior change? Did they, as the story goes, transform into these violent, insane, just kind of zombie-like monsters attacking each other around day 15 and then attacking Russian guards sent in to release them after the experiment was terminated? Did the experiment even take place at all? And if it didn't, why do so many people seem to think it did? The origins of some very creepy and disturbing web lore thoroughly explored today on another Let's Get to the Bottom of This edition of Time Stuff. You're listening to Time Stuff. Happy Monday, time suckers. Hail Nimrod. Hail Lucifina. Praise Bojangles. Triple M. And, uh, and hail you. Uh, I'm Dan Cummins, the suck master, the master suck. This is the cult of the curious, and you are listening to Time Suck. And apologies again, my guy, to Time Sucker Stephen Watson. Sorry, Stephen. Uh, victim of Hurricane Michael for me not initially posting the link to his GoFundMe campaign in last week's episode description. Be gone, Lucifina. Get out of here. Uh, I did add it within 24 hours this time, but it wasn't there initially. Uh, this week, I loaded it into the episode description before even researching the episode. It's, it was already, so I can't fuck it up. Uh, I, I, I don't know how it can be fucked up if it is. Uh, so it's, it's in there today. It's in there right away. Um, and thanks, Stephen, for letting me know that you got my email connecting you with John Ryder. 
uh, that wonderful Time Sucker slash public insurance adjuster who's going to help you out. So hail Nimrod. And today's Time Sucker is brought to you by the Jim Jeffries Show podcast. The Jim Jeffries Show on Comedy Central covers the most controversial issues of today through Australian comic Jim Jeffries' brand of comedy and global point of view. Very distinctive brand of comedy. Uh, Jim has truly developed an original international perspective. He's working the comedy scene in Australia, London, Los Angeles coming up, uh, touring worldwide. He's been all over, seen how a lot of people live and how they view the world, and he brings that point of view to his podcast. The Jim Jeffrey Show podcast is just a slightly more podcasty version of his Comedy Central show. So if you like that show, you're going to love this podcast. Uh, listen each week as Jim Jeffries and co-host Forrest Shaw sit down with friends and guests to discuss news, politics, all the things Jim couldn't, wouldn't, and shouldn't say on television. So subscribe now to the Jim Jeffrey Show podcast. Listen to new episodes every Wednesday on your favorite podcast app. And thanks, everyone, for the continued reviews and constant spreading the suck. Over 5,500 reviews on iTunes alone now. And that's just in the U.S. Uh, most of them pretty good. You know, the suck is a little bit too much for some people. That's okay. And, and new ones keep the, uh, the podcast on the charts. So thank you very much for helping spread the suck every time you leave a review or a rating. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, also, more fun being had by the more than 4,000 members of the Cult of the Curious private Facebook group. We'll be talking about that later in the Time Sucker updates. Uh, hoping I had a blast in uh, Columbus, Ohio. This past weekend, uh, recording this episode in advance of those shows, so I have no idea how they went. I'm going to assume, I'm going to assume good. Let's just do that. Uh, I'll be at Helium Comedy Club in Buffalo, New York this weekend, November 8th through 11th. Queen of the Suck, Lindsay, joining me. Uh, back to Grand Rapids, Michigan shows at Dr. Grin's November 16th and 17th, including my last live podcast of 2018, that Matamaros uh, Narco Satanist Cult on the 17th, um, this next week. And then Spokane. I'll be at the Spokane Comedy Club November 29th, 30th, December 1st, finishing off 2018 in Helium in St. Louis, December 6th through the 9th, and, uh, and then excited to start the Happy Murder Tour uh, in 2019. And thanks for the positive feedback on the videos. Man, we put in little preview videos, like I said, on you know Dan Cummins Comedy, Time Suck Podcast, the handles, those handles on social media. And now, as of last week, uh, Time Suck, you know, in full, full-length form, living on YouTube. So I really appreciate you guys uh, checking it out, leaving some comments. And uh, yeah, just like with the regular podcast, we're just going to do our best to keep making it better. Uh, and I also forgot to add <laughs> the fucking YouTube link uh, initially in last week's episode description. So that came out a little late. Uh, why? Why, Nimrod? Why can't you give me more organizational strength? Why isn't Bojangles, you know, fact-checking stuff? Why doesn't our suckhound spend less time licking his nuts and more time helping me? I've put a note in this week's episode description to remind myself of that as well. So it should be there right now. And stick around for today's Time Sucker updates. Man, some of my favorite. And a cool new item in the store. little challenge coin. I, I'm very excited about this. Man, this is uh, so cool. I'm so excited that we made I don't think any other podcast has a challenge coin. Um, these things are 1.75 inches in diameter. Constructed out of hard enamel, polished nickel, and Bojangles claw clippings to make them unbreakable. Each coin is 211% Bojangles claw clippings. Coins weigh uh, one and a half ounces, come in a little nice little, uh, you know, acrylic, plastic, little airtight coin capsule to keep your new Danger Brain design custom, collectible, shiny, and new. Oh, man, so fun. Each coin also doubles as a token of admission when Bojangles fires up the Space Lizard mothership that will transport all coin-carrying members of the Cult of the Curious into the next plane of existence, some fourth plane where Lucifina and Nimrod and probably David Icke await. Current ETA for liftoff is September 19th, uh, 2026. Uh, the coins are 20 bucks for non-space lizards. Uh, and then uh, for space lizards, you know, they're 16 because you get the discount. And uh, try to get the coin uh, cost down, but, you know, not being a branch of the military or a giant company, 
uh, or some coin store, just not able to order the thousands necessary to, to pull that off. I love them. I love them. Uh, very excited to get into today's tale now. Uh, no timeline today. Got to get a little experimental with today's narrative. Uh, I was getting a little bored of just, you know, uh, show after show being that chronological order. And, uh, you know, and that whole traditional, here's what happened, here's what I think about it, kind of layout, which I do love, which we are going to get back to, but shaking shit up a bit today. I hope you like it. Time now for the Russian sleep experiment. Kick things off. Let's just get right into it. Let's get right into the actual story of the Russian sleep experiment, as supposedly told by firsthand, uh, you know, people with firsthand knowledge of this experiment. We'll examine the validity of of this uh, uh, a little bit later in the episode, I am well aware that a lot of people do believe this is not true, and uh, and I'm aware that some people do believe it's true. So let's just hear it first. I'm going to read you the oldest known original account of what happened in that Russian laboratory shortly after World War II wound down. So here we go. Russian researchers in the late 1940s kept five people awake for 15 days using an experimental gas-based stimulant. They were kept in a sealed environment to carefully monitor their oxygen intake so the gas didn't kill them since it was toxic in high concentrations. This was before closed-circuit cameras, so they only had microphones and five-inch-thick glass porthole-sized windows in the chamber to monitor them. The chamber was stocked with books, cots to sleep on but no bedding, running water uh, in a toilet, and enough dried food to last all five for a month. The test subjects were political prisoners deemed enemy of the state during World War II, uh, everything was fine for the first five days. The subjects hardly complained, having been promised that they would be freed if, the, you know, if they submitted to the test and did not sleep for the full 30 days. Their conversations and activities were monitored, and it was noted that they continued to talk about increasingly traumatic incidents in their past, and the general tone of the conversation took on a darker aspect after the day four mark, uh, which makes sense to me, I guess. You know, Even though that San Diego high school kid made it 11 days without any major incident, um, I get that these, you know, things would get dark for these guys by day four. You know, I mean, Randy Gardner, he could, he could leave anytime he wanted. You know, he had no synthetic chemicals being pumped into his system. He was monitored by a Stanford sleep researcher by the name of Dr. William C. Dement, by the way. Dr. Dement. That's not a good name for a doctor. Why can't he change that? I guess slightly better than Dr. Demented, but, you know, I feel like I might still change it if I had the name Dr. Dement, if I was going to be a doctor. Uh, I definitely would change it if I was Dr. Demented. I wouldn't feel the slightest safe around Dr. Demented. Dude, fuck, change your name. You're not stuck with it. You can legally change your name uh, or just e- even easier, just pretend to have a different name. I don't know why some people don't change their names, you know? Like if my last name, I know that I know that probably no one has this for a last name, but for some reason, if my last name was like at least, even if it wasn't spelled this way, if it was pronounced like pussy puncher, you know, then, uh, you know, I change that. Or I don't have the life I have now. I don't have two kids. I don't get married. Not to Lindsay, at least. You know, I maybe get married to some psychopath, okay, with taking the last name of Pussy Puncher. Uh, and I guess if I live that life, then the two of us only dine at restaurants to take reservations specifically so we can hear uh, Pussy Puncher, party of two, your table is ready. Uh, but I digress. Ten days in, Randy Gardner, still able to beat Dr. Demand at pinball, still able to hold a coherent press conference. Another test administrator, uh, Lieutenant Commander John J. Ross of the U.S. Navy Medical Neuropsychiatric Research Unit. That's a lot of words. In San Diego, did state that around day 10, Randy underwent serious behavioral changes, including paranoia, hallucination, and memory loss, but he certainly didn't lose his shit. Uh, The test subjects in the Russian sleep experiment did lose their shit. After five days, they started to complain about the circumstances and events that led them to where they were and started to demonstrate severe paranoia. They stopped talking to each other and began alternately whispering to the microphones and two-way mirrored portholes. 
Uh, oddly, they all seem to think that they can win the trust of their experimenters by turning over their comrades and other subjects in captivity with them. At first, the researchers suspected this was an effect of the gas itself. After nine days, the first of them started screaming. He ran the length of the chamber, repeatedly yelling at the top of his lungs for three hours straight. That'd be fun to listen to for the other people. He had continued attempting to scream, but was only able to produce occasional squeaks. The researchers postulated that he had physically torn his vocal cords. But the other, but the other dudes were happy about that, though. Uh, the most surprising thing about this behavior is how the other captives reacted to it, or rather didn't react to it. They continued whispering to the microphones until the second of the captives started to scream. The two non-screaming captives took the books apart, smeared page after page with their own feces, mm, and pasted them calmly over the glass portals. Uh, the screaming promptly stopped. Well, I guess maybe that somehow they knew that if you want people to stop screaming, you cover walls and shit. Maybe that's a, I don't know, maybe there's some kind of weird old wives tale, you know, thing that has some validity to it. You want to, you know, if you want to get your baby, you know, parent, young parents of young kids, you want your babies to stop screaming, cover the, cover the room with shit. That'll do it. Uh, and apparently the whispering to the microphone stopped uh, as well when the screaming stopped when they covered the. Uh, Covered, covered the uh, windows and shit. I feel like as the experimenter, you have to be fairly sure that your experiment is not going to make it to the 30-day mark when your test subjects uh, start to smear shit on the walls after uh, screaming for a day or so before even like the day 15 mark. That couldn't have been anticipated. That couldn't have been according to plan. You know, just, ah, they're smearing their shit on the walls on day 10. Mm, right on schedule. Yes, everything is going according to plan. Uh, after three more days passed, the researchers checked the microphones hourly to make sure they were working since they thought it was impossible that no sound could be coming through with five people inside. The oxygen consumption in the chamber indicated that all five must still be alive. In fact, it was the amount of oxygen five people would consume at a very heavy level of strenuous exercise. That's weird. On the morning of the 14th day, the researchers did something they said they would not do to get a reaction from the captives. They used the intercom. Inside the chamber, hoping to provoke any response from the captives they were afraid were either dead or were vegetables at this point. They announced, we are opening the chamber to test the microphones. Step away from the door, lie flat on the floor, or you will be shot. Compliance will earn one of you your immediate freedom. And then to their surprise, they heard a single phrase in a calm voice respond, we no longer want to be freed. Yeah, you got to be pretty confident. You've broken the brains of these five people. Uh, when the only thing they say is just some creepy shit about not wanting to be freed after spending days in a shit-filled room. Maybe, maybe turn off the gas at this point. Maybe, maybe put less gas in there at this point. Uh, nope. Uh, debate broke out among the researchers and the military forces funding the research. Unable to provoke any more response using the intercom, it was finally decided to open the chamber at midnight on the 15th day. The chamber was flushed of the stimulant gas and filled with fresh air. Okay. All right. There you go. Maybe they just had, you know, a little too much uh, happy gas. Uh, immediately, voices from the microphones began to object. Uh, three different voices began begging as if pleading for the life of a loved one to turn the gas back on. Unexpected twist. Uh, apparently, whatever stimulant they're using is very addictive. Uh, the chamber was open and soldiers sent in to retrieve the test subjects. They began to scream louder than ever. And so did the soldiers when they saw what was inside. Four of the five subjects were still alive, although no one could rightly call the state that any of them were, uh, were in as life. The food rations past day five had not been so much as touched. There were chunks of meat from the, death, from the dead test subject's thighs and chest stuffed into the drain in the center of the chamber, blocking the drain and allowing four inches of water to accumulate on the floor. Precisely how much of the water on the floor was actually blood was never determined. 
All four surviving test subjects also had large portions of muscle and skin torn away from their bodies. Uh, The destruction of flesh and exposed bone on their fingertips indicated that the wounds were inflicted by hand, not with teeth, as the researchers initially thought. Closer examination of the position and angles of the wounds indicated that most, if not all of them, were self-inflicted. It's got to be a disappointment for the scientists, you know, who I assume will be trying or were were probably trying to develop some kind of stimulant that would allow like uh, soldiers to fight day and night for extended periods of time without rest. Not good for the war effort if your soldiers begin to eat themselves uh, during week two. The abdominal organs below the rib cage of all four test subjects had been removed while the heart, lungs, and diaphragm remained in place, the skin and most of the muscle attached to the ribs had been ripped off, exposing the lungs through the rib cage. All the blood vessels and organs remained intact. They had just been taken out and laid on the floor, fanning around the eviscerated but still living bodies of the subjects. The digestive tract of all four could be seen to be working, digesting food. It was quickly, it quickly became apparent that what they were digesting was their own flesh that they had ripped off and eaten over the course of days. Most of the soldiers were Russian special operatives at the facility, but still many refused to return to the chamber to remove the test subjects. They continued to scream to be left in the chamber and alternately begged and demanded that the gas be turned back on, lest they fall asleep. To everyone's surprise, the test subjects put up a fierce fight in the process of being removed from the chamber. One of the Russian soldiers died from having his throat ripped out. Another was gravely injured by having his testicles ripped off and an artery in his leg severed by one of the subject's teeth. Guessing that guy may have uh, wasted. He also died. Uh, Another five of the soldiers lost their lives. If you count the ones that committed suicide in the weeks following the incident, doesn't say, but I wonder if testicle dude, one of those suicides. Uh, In the struggle, one of the four living subjects had his spleen ruptured and he bled out almost immediately. The medical researchers attempted to sedate him, but this proved impossible. He was injected with more than 10 times the human dose of morphine, Uh, and still fought like a cornered animal, breaking the ribs and an arm of one doctor when a heart was seen to beat for a full two minutes after he had bled out to the point there was no more air in his vascular system than blood. Uh, Even after it stopped, he continued to scream and flail for another three minutes, struggling to attack anyone in reach and just repeating the word, more, 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 over and over, weaker and weaker until he finally fell silent. Now, if this really happened, as an evil scientist, I feel like you gotta be kind of thrilled at this point, as an evil scientist, I mean, your te- test patients, you know, they've lost their shit after, you know, 10 days, two weeks, but that's not ideal. But they also become super aggressive and very hard to kill. They got some kind of fucking monkey strength where they can rip people's nuts off. You know, you got to think with a little bit of tweaking, you can create some sort of super soldier, some some gas that turns on like someone's berserker mode. Uh, the report then continues. The surviving three test subjects were heavily restrained and moved to a medical facility. The two with intact vocal cords continuously begging for the gas, demanding to be kept awake. The most injured of the three was taken to the only surgical operating room that the facility had. In the process of preparing the subject to have his organs placed back within his body, it was found that he was effectively immune to the sedative they had given him to prepare him for the surgery. He fought furiously against his restraints. When the anesthetic gas was brought out to put him under, he managed to tear most of the way through a four-inch wide leather strap on one wrist, even though the weight of a 200-pound soldier holding, uh, was holding that wrist as well. See? Fucking berserker mode. He took only a little more anesthetic than normal to put him under, the, uh, and then the instant his eyelids fluttered and closed, his heart stopped. In the autopsy of the test subject that died on the operating table, it was found that his blood had triple the normal level of oxygen. Ah, man, he's got, he's got some of that... Uh, Some of that Lance Armstrong blood flowing through his veins. 
Uh, his muscles that were still attached to his skeleton were badly torn, and he had broken nine bones in the struggle to not be subdued. Most of them were from the force his own muscles had exerted on them. Man, that dude, that's, uh, again, evil scientist. He's got to be thrilled. Man, this dude's going to take a couple shots. He's going to keep on running. I know it's fucked up, but, you know, if I'm that scientist, that's what I'm going for. No sleep needed, monster strength, uh, the ability to ignore insane injuries. Ideal to have all of that, you know, maybe minus the feces smearing, maybe fucking tone, tweak down, tone down the feces smearing. Tone tone down the saying of creepy stuff like, we only want to be freed. But, you know, this, this, this is a beta test. This is a beta test. They can smooth that stuff out later. The second survivor had been the uh, first of the group of five to start screaming. His vocal cords destroyed. He was unable to beg or object to surgery. And he only reacted by shaking his head violently in disapproval when the anesthetic gas was brought near him. He shook his head yes when someone suggested reluctantly they try the surgery without anesthetic and did not react for the entire six-hour procedure of replacing his abdominal organs and attempting to cover them with the what remained of his skin. Six hours. Uh, the surgeon presiding stated repeatedly that it shouldn't be medical pos- medically possible for the patient to still be alive. One terrified nurse assisting the surgery stated that she had seen the patient's mouth curl into a smile several times whenever his eyes met hers. Ha! Still got it. He's still got it. You ain't going to let a little uh, internal organ loss, a little skin loss, keep him from, uh, you know, hitting on a sexy nurse. Nah, just a minor flesh wound. You know, if, if he could still, if he could like get her number while having his stomach put back into his insides during an hours long surgery when he doesn't have anesthetic, while his vocal cords, vocal cords are just completely shot, you know, while he hasn't slept in what, over two weeks, maybe just ate a little bit of another test subject, fucking Players, Hall of Fame. That guy has serious game. That guy could, I don't know, conduct clinics for the for the rest of his life. Probably not going to live, though. Uh, when the surgery ended, the subject looked at the surgeon and began to wheeze loudly, attempting to talk while struggling. Assuming this could be, uh, assuming this must be some something of drastic importance, the surgeon the surgeon had a pen and uh, and a pad fetched so the patient could write his message. And then the patient wrote it, and it was simple. It said, "Keep cutting." Keep- <laughs> I mean, and again, I don't know if this, you know, I'm not going to say this is true or not so far, but if, if that was true, can you imagine getting that message? Like you've been cutting on somebody for six hours and then they're like, you're going to wrap it up. And then, you know, they're trying to communicate and the, and the message is just keep cutting. That's the creepiest shit ever. Just keep cutting. Uh, no, 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 no. We're all good. We're, we're all good. Surgery is complete. You can, uh, you can, you, you can go now. We're going to just take you to the post operating room. I know what I said. Keep cutting. No, no, we're, we're good. We're good, all sewn up. Good as new. Hurt me, daddy. Hurt me so good. Uh, the other two test subjects were given the same surgery, both without anesthetic as well, although they had to be injected with a paralytic for the duration of the operation. The surgeon found it impossible to perform the operation while the patients laughed continuously. Uh, one paralyzed, uh, once paralyzed, the subjects could only follow the attending researchers with their eyes. The paralytic cleared their system in an abnormally short period of time, and they were soon trying to escape their bonds. The moment they could speak, they were again asking for more stimulant gas. The researchers tried asking why they had injured themselves. Why had they ripped out their own guts? Why did they want to be given gas again? And only one response was given, I must remain awake. And again, if I'm an evil scientist, fucking... Huge science boner right now, right? I mean, uh, you know, you got to like they're taking the experiment seriously. You got to like their how, how they're able to survive that much trauma. Uh, all three subjects' restraints were reinforced. They were placed back into the chamber awaiting determination as to what should be done with them. The researchers facing the wrath of their military benefactors, 
for having failed the stated goals of their project, considered or excuse me, considered euthanizing the surviving subjects. The commanding officer and ex-KGB uh, officer instead saw potential and wanted to see what would happen if they were put back on the gas. The researchers strongly objected, but were overruled. In preparation for being sealed in the chamber again, the subjects were connected to an EEG monitor and had their restraints padded for long-term confinement. To everyone's surprise, all three stopped struggling the moment it was let slip that they were going back on the gas. It was obvious that at this point, all three were putting up a great struggle just to stay awake. One of the subjects that could speak was humming loudly and continuously. The mute subject was uh, straining his legs against the leather bonds with all his might. First left, then right, then left again for something to focus on. The remaining subject was holding his head off his pillow and blinking rapidly. Having been the first to be wired for EEG, most of the researchers were monitoring his brain waves uh, in surprise. They were normal most of the time, but sometimes flatlined inexplicably. It looked as if he were repeatedly suffering brain death before then returning to normal. As they focused on papers going out of the brainwave monitor, only one nurse saw his eyes slip shut at the same moment his head hit the pillow. His brainwaves uh, immediately changed to that of deep sleep, then flatlined for the last time as his heart simultaneously stopped. The only remaining subject that could speak started screaming to be sealed in, uh, sealed in the chamber now. His brainwaves showed the same flatlines as one who had just died from falling asleep. The commander gave the order to seal the chamber with both subjects inside as well as three researchers. One of the named three immediately drew his gun and shot the commander point blank between the eyes and turned the gun on the mute subject and blew his brains out as well. He pointed the gun at the remaining subject, still restrained to a bed, as the remaining members of the medical and research team fled the room, saying, I, I won't be locked in here with these things, not with you. He screamed at the man strapped to the table. What are you? He demands. I must know. And then the subject smiled and said, have you forgotten so easily? We are you. We are the madness that lurks within you all, begging to be free at every moment in your deepest animal mind. We are what you hide from in your beds every night. We are what you sedate into silence and paralysis when you go into the nocturnal haven where we cannot tread. So nearly free is what this subject uh, kind of squeaked out as his heart finally failed. What? This shit even happen? Is this story at least even partially true? I'm going to let you know. I'm going to let you know right after I find out what the idiots of the internet believe about this subject. And I'm going to check in with the edit of the internet right after I mention our following sponsor. Time Suck Today is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. With The Great Courses Plus, you can continue learning about all the fun things we talk about here that you're still curious about. Watch and listen to award-winning experts as they explore fascinating people, places, and ideas just like we do here on Time Suck with unlimited access to thousands of lectures. Thousands, not tens, not hundreds, thousands. There's always something new to explore. So much content. I recommend right now their course on the Black Death. In the 14th century, the plague killed 75 million people. Over the course of 10 years, devastating villages and cities alike, smashing social and economic uh, economic hierarchies into smithereens, leaving its survivors in a world completely transformed. Professor Dorsey Armstrong, PhD, she puts on a hell of a presentation on this subject that I hope we suck sooner or later on this show. Didn't know that the plague started in Asia before it reached Europe before this series. I enjoyed lecture four, uh, the Black Death Ports of Entry. I learned in this just 31-minute 30, uh, lecture that the plague moved into Europe via modern-day Italy, which was a collection of various city-states when the plague hit, not a unified country. And in uh, 1266, some Genoese merchants from the Italian peninsula had established trade with other merchants in Kaffa on the Crimean Peninsula in the Black Sea. And in 1346, the Mongols laid siege to the city of Kaffa and tried to take it. 
But the plague stepped in and stopped their efforts. Instead of giving up, though, uh, the Mongols engaged in some of the most insane biological warfare, if not the most insane I've ever read about. Uh, they used these trebuchets, these catapults, to launch plague-infected corpses over the walls of the city inside to, you know, to, to infect the city inside behind the walls. And this was Europe's first contact with the plague. And then when the siege continued, some Genoese uh, merchants, you know, they hightail it out. The city's still under attack. They, they, they make it back to the Italian peninsula, but get very sick along the way, not knowing they're infected with the plague. And they live just long enough to make it back to Genoa and begin the mass infection of all of Europe. Are you intrigued? You want to learn more? Well, the Great Courses Plus is giving Time Suckers a fantastic limited time offer. Get your first month free, plus receive the second month for only 99 cents. That's unlimited access to enjoy their huge library of engaging lectures for two full months for under a buck, only at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash timesuck. This special offer is only available for a limited time, so you must sign up through thegreatcoursesplus.com slash timesuck within the next few weeks. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash timesuck to get the first month free and a second month for just 99 cents. Do it. Get smart, time suckers. Link in the episode description. And now... Let's get dumb. Let's visit today's idiots of the internet. Idiots of the internet. 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 Do you hear that? Do you hear that little button mistake, you guys? I fixed it. It started to go into the time suck timeline. I'm like, oh, no, no, wait. I'm so used to hitting that right now. Not today. There is no timeline today. Mm, I caught it. I caught it. I caught it. It's like one second mistake. Uh, Okay. All of today's comments come from a video published by YouTube channel Top Fives on October 6th, 2015. Uh, over 5.6 million views. It's titled The Russian Sleep Experiment, The Most Terrifying Experiment Ever Performed? Question mark. And it recounts the details we've just went over. <laughs> and right away, we get a Captain Obvious post, which I love. I always love these. Ezra uh, Kandagagan? Fucking crazy-ass last name. Uh, writes... When you do an experiment like this, the human will turn crazy. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys. Hey, hey guys. Did you know when you perform a horrible experiment of not letting humans sleep and then giving them a crazy stimulant gas day after day and, you know, keeping them captive in a little tiny room, did you know at some point they might get crazy? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we all knew that. Everyone who knows anything knows that. Thank you, Ezra. Thank you for uh, sharing that. Uh, user Faden is not having this video. Uh, he, knows, he knows it's fake. In fact, he knows. He knows. He also knows so much about sleep deprivation. He does. He writes, this is bullshit. I've been awake for five days. I felt no strangeness other than feeling a little odd, which kind of is strangeness. Uh, Things felt a little surreal. Like, he actually writes serial, but I think he meant surreal. Like a living dream, but nothing odd happened. And there are some people who can't sleep. They haven't slept in years. And although they are ill, they don't turn into demonic-looking freaks. <laughs> uh, people haven't slept in years, Faden? Uh, no. There are people who haven't slept much in years, but they have, in fact, slept. All of them. Every fucking one of them. Uh, do you not understand the concept of hyperbole? Extreme exaggeration. I mean, do you just think that everyone means everything they say literally? Like, do you think that some people are actually hungry enough to eat an entire fucking horse. Uh, do you think some people are dying because they're literally being talked to death? Do you think that's how some people die? You can just talk them to death? Uh, do you think some people are actually older than dirt? I'm guessing maybe you do. User Aiden Huddleston cracks me up. 
uh, which is something that I think is really clever, posting, this is why Russia can't have nice things. Yeah, come on, Russia. You want to have nice shit? Stop turning people into sleep zombies. Stop making them eat themselves. That's that's why. That's why you can't have nice things. Uh, I actually was just reminded uh, by a Russian listener who I can't find the email now, uh, but he said he lives near Bitsa Park or Bitsa Park in Moscow. We talked about Alexander Pashushkin, you know, and uh, he said that things are still crazy in Moscow, but not as crazy. So Russia getting some nice things now. I am aware of that. Uh, user Alex Hansen posts a joke that appears in almost every every dark comment thread on YouTube, and it makes me laugh every time because I am childish. Uh, <laughs> and in the comment there, he just writes, finally, some good fat material. Ah, oldie but a goodie, Alex. Oldie but a goodie. Dark. Ah, it's dark. Uh, user Trace B posts, ha ha ha, they guy had his balls ripped off. What a loser. What a loser. What a loser. That, that just cracks me up when people are trying to make fun of somebody and then just like misspell their insults. Duck rude, dipshit. Ha! You're dimmer than a pool of ricks. Ha ha ha! User aka Big Poppy posts, now these are Russians, all caps, that did this. And, all caps, Trump is well connected with them. Imagine y'all prepare is all I can say. Uh, Big Poppy, I get scared when I imagine a world where you are the norm. A world where the craziest of dots are connected by the majority of the population. Prepare, everyone. Prepare for Trump putting every American man, woman, and child in sleep deprivation zombie gas chamber. You know it's coming. You've seen a video about an alleged Russian experiment that might not be true, and you have heard that Trump may have colluded with the Russians. Therefore, other words, moreover, Trump wants us all to be creepy cannibal zombies. Can you not say the truth? I can't. I can't. I can't see it. I can't see it. Uh, user Metro Bradsey doesn't believe the Russian sleep experiment is true for a second, posting, this is complete bullshit, bro. Someone who doesn't get sleep gets superhuman strength. I love it. I love when they add bruh in the book. Bruh, it's bullshit. It's bullshit, bro. But then, but then, user uh, Ayashi Nightcore reminds Metro Bradsey that the Russian sleep experiment is not complete bullshit, but in fact, very possible by tossing out some highly questionable facts. Saying, uh, there's a theory that we only use less than 60% of our full strength. This is because using 100% would literally shatter your arms as if they are nothing but glass. Uh, by theory, do you mean some shit you just made up? Uh, what are you talking about shattering your arms like glass? You don't know how fucking body works? Yeah, you know, like like if people when people fall off buildings, they don't shatter like glass when they hit the ground, right? They uh, they they might splatter, they might get smushed. They don't fucking shatter. Why? Because we're not made of glass, we're made of tissue. Bone, to be fair, but to be fair, bones can shatter if they're hit like at an insane velocity, or, like at the impact, like like where a bullet goes in, they can shatter at the site of the entry wound. But uh, you know, but but not not the whole body. And, and and if you ever watch like a like a weightlifting competition where. Uh, uh, people actually do overexert themselves. The muscles and ligaments will snap before uh, bones uh, can shatter. And that's gross. That's plenty gross enough. Uh, Joe Complex Geometric Shapes Rogan worries that apparently some Illuminati type group <laughs> is keeping us from attaining, you know, that arm shattering strength. Posting, maybe sleep was something to suppress true human power. Maybe we are tricked into thinking we need it. I just picture him fucking posting this. 
like I picture his computer surrounded by the most the like the most fucking crystals you've ever seen in your life. Like he is just in a room of just not just crystals, him and a computer, and because he, he's trying to like break out of the the chains that we've been put in, you know, the chains of sleep. Who's doing it, Joe? Fucking lizards, the Illuminati. Have they managed to trick literally all of us for the entirety of human history into sleeping when we don't even need to shut the fuck up? Uh, user Doves post some vague nonsense that really cracked me up saying, there was a guy somewhere. <laughs> I just love how vague this is. There was a guy somewhere around India or somewhat country uh, who didn't sleep since eight or 13 years old, I guess, until the age of 57 or older. He was real. What are you talking about? <laughs> I love Around India or somewhat other country, eight or 13, uh, 57 or older, maybe. Can you imagine that guy telling a joke? Polish person or a priest walking to a bar or, uh, or maybe, a, maybe a Russian or like a police officer or some other type of person or not even, you know, like a, maybe like a non-person. And they walk into a bar or somewhat other place. <laughs> and, uh, and this happens like two or 27 years ago. Anyway, these guys order 13 or more or less drinks and maybe some other stuff or not. Maybe they didn't order. They might not even be there. And hey, wait, what was I talking about again? Wait, hey, where's everyone going? I was just getting to the good part where I uh, I tell that joke or, or somewhat other jokes or maybe some serious stuff. Uh, user Madden Lover Hater G posts a very strange religious testimonial writing, when I was 19, I kept myself awake for almost seven days. I didn't have a gas-filled chamber, and I was free to sleep at any time I wanted. But thanks to three bell-ringing alarms going off every 15 minutes with a 15-minute snooze timer and my hard metal music, I had help staying awake. Then all caps, DO NOT EVER TRY THIS! I did it because when I was younger, I enjoyed pushing my limits and conducting experiments on myself to see what my mind and body could take. The reason why I finally made myself go to sleep was because I started to see things. Things that no one should be able to see or would ever want to see for that matter. I spent the next 14 years of my life doing incredibly stupid things like this because I was obsessed with trying to disprove God through any means possible, only to become a man of God at the age of 36. We have a lens over our eyes. This lens keeps you from seeing things you would never want to. Through extreme sleep deprivation, you can weaken the lens. I truly believe because these people were not able to sleep, they became possessed and were too terrified of the things they were experiencing to be able to allow themselves to sleep again. But anyways, for the only important part of this story, Jesus loves you all no matter what you've done to yourself or to others. Uh, wow, man. Uh, you could just uh, post those last two sentences and saved us a bunch of bullshit. Uh, if you're a man of God, aren't you supposed to not be a fucking liar? None of that shit happened. None of that shit happened. You didn't have a weird experiment. You weren't playing fucking metal to keep yourselves awake. Keep yourself awake for over seven days. You didn't see some shit that people, you know, aren't supposed to see. Like some weird, you know, uh, allusion to like some demons and stuff. You are a fucking liar. Ah, people. Uh, Ask Pro TM posts a message explaining the different effects sleep deprivation has on those who are imprisoned. Versus those who are not imprisoned. I think it's actually very, very hard to determine exactly what in the hell Aspro TM is talking about. Uh, they post, people have to remember they were locked in closed quarters. So yes, the body will act differently in regards to pain while awake for too long. The mind also hallucinates. So they go crazy. Remember, 
that people who aren't locked up and forced to stay awake, they do stay awake, are surrounded by people, and are mentally occupied to stay awake. Naturally, the body would, yes, shut itself down to sleep. I've read this probably 10 times, and I still don't fully understand what the hell he's trying to talk about. Uh, how terrible how terrible would it be if this was your college professor? Okay, last review before our test on stress transformations with beams, columns, and cellular solids. Remember, beams and columns and solids will act differently in regards to stress to beams and columns and, and cell, solids. So yes, remember, the beams will react differently to columns if stress is applied or not applied inside or outside of the beam. Naturally, if you remember the beams, columns, and solids all behave accordingly, shut themselves down with stress or do not. Any questions about questions and or beams, stress, or about remember, I am having a nervous breakdown. Finally, NXFX posts, moral of the story, if you don't sleep, you'll eat yourself. I love it. I love it. No effect. Uh, some clever, dark humor to write out on. Uh, go to bed, kids. Go to bed. Uh, or you're going to fucking eat your insights. Now get some sleep. And that's all for today's Idiots of the Internet. Idiots of the Internet. That's my favorite Idiots of the Internet in a while. And I hit the button right second time. So that's sweet. Uh, so much silliness. Now, is the Russian sleep experiment real? No. I bet, I'm guessing most of you knew that. Uh, most certainly it's not. Like Slender Man, the Russian sleep experiment was invented on the web, uh, this time on Creepypasta. Creepypasta is a site for paranormal creatures and folklore and fans who love them. Fans can write in about their favorite creature and have their work reviewed by their fans, you know, have more stories added. It's become a, a like a modern folklore incubator. On, on June 10th, 2009, some random dude from Chicago named Eric Knudsen submitted some pictures to an online Photoshop competition to see who could create the best mythological monster on a website called Something Awful, and he gave birth to Slenderman. And then shortly after that, users on Creepypasta started to quickly build the mythology of that new monster with new alleged Slenderman sightings and stories. Well, the Russian sleep experiment can be traced back directly to Creepypasta, born and raised there. All started with the Creepypasta Wikipedia entry, on August 10th, 2010, barely a year after Slenderman, the user who posted it goes by the handle Orange Soda, but the author's real name has never been discovered. And, and ever since, a lot of people on the web have chosen to believe this story is either real or at least based on a real story, despite the fact that it clearly originated on an online forum thread devoted to seeing who could drum up the best urban legend. Slenderman and the Russian Sleep Experiment, two stories created in online horror fiction competitions, two stories scaring the shit out of thousands who still believe them to be real. Well, well I think it's pretty easy to uh, to tell that Slenderman is totally fake, like a clearly made up monster, you know, unless you're like, you're like 13 or younger or, or have the mentality of someone who's 13 or younger. I, I do think it's harder to tell with the Russian Sleep Experiment, as, as outrageous as it is, uh, because the Russian Sleep Experiment does benefit from historical context. Like, it's a very extreme story, but a lot of extreme human experimentation for sure was going on, excuse me, uh, in the 1940s and around the world. In a way, while parts of the story get a little far-fetched, you know, people tearing out their insides a bit much. I, I, again, I can see how people could think this happened, but, but could it actually even have happened? Is it even, like, physically possible? Uh, is the story possible at all? Uh, I'm going to say no, uh, although I'm not a doctor or an expert in surviving uh, massive trauma. It just feels very highly unlikely to me. Uh, no human experiments of this type, uh, you know, the, the, the type described in this urban legend have ever been conducted that we know of. The closest scientifically documented sleep experiment is the one I spoke of earlier involving that high schooler, Randy Gardner. And again, he made it 11 days, suffered no long lasting ill effects. 
a little bit of paranoia, mild hallucinations, memory problems, you know, all of it fixed uh, by two nights of good sleep when the experiment was over. There was also, although uh, very little is written about it, the case of Maureen Weston of uh, Peterborough, uh, Cambridgeshire, England, who in April 1977 allegedly endured 449 hours over 18 and a half days of continual sleep deprivation in a rocking chair marathon. <laughs> okay. Uh, but nothing's, you know, obviously written about her ripping open uh, her own abdomen, uh, eating her own flesh, talking about, you know, seeing creepy shit in the darkness. Um, uh, and there's nothing in the realm of historical human study or medical science that suggests there is some sort of chemical, chemical that could allow you to not sleep just for week after week after week and also survive massive blood loss and feel no pain and be able to remove most of your organs and, you know, still survive for hours or days afterwards, you know, without medical intervention after you hurt yourself. Uh, there's no record of someone surviving something like that. But with some new drug, uh, some, you know, some, some powerful stimulant, could it even ever happen? I'm guessing the medical community would give me a resounding no. But again, I can get how it's, it could seem like it could happen. Like if someone could invent the right drug, I get how you could feel like that it might be able to happen. Well, before I dig uh, into a little experiment we're going to do today that I'm very excited about, we're going to play a little game. Uh, I feel like I should talk about what is normal when it comes to sleep. We, we know, uh, you know, in, in, all, in all likelihood, it's not physically possible to go a month without sleep. But how much sleep are we actually supposed to get? I thought this was kind of kind of cool. Today, according to sleep studies, the average uh, young adult reports sleeping about seven to seven and a half hours uh, each night, quite a bit less than we used to. Uh, back in 2010, before the electric light bulb, the average person would sleep uh, nine uh, hours on average a night, about close to two hours more than people average now. Three sleep ex- uh, researchers actually spent a summer, and that's, yeah, back in uh, 1910, uh, three sleep researchers, bleh, three sleep researchers spent a summer. Why is that sentence hard for me to get out? Above the Arctic Circle, where there is continuous light, 24 hours a day in 1995 to study natural sleep habits and try to find out what our ideal amount of sleep is, like when there's no cues. All watches, clocks, time, uh, timekeeping devices were removed. Uh, only the station's computers tracked the times that the team went to sleep and awakened. The researchers chose when to sleep or wake according to their own natural body time. At the end of the experiment, they found that their overall average sleep daily time was 10.3 hours. Every member of the team showed an increase in sleep time with the shortest logging in 8.8 hours a day, the longest almost 12 hours a day. And this study, like many others, seems to suggest that our biological need for sleep might be closer to 10 hours per day, typical of monkeys and apes, uh, as opposed to the seven to seven and a half hours typical of humans today in our, in our high-tech, clock-driven, go-go lifestyle. That's why it blows me away when I read about Tesla and the Tesla suck. Like four hours? Asleep. I mean, I know he went finally went crazy in old age, but I mean, he made it a long time. Suppose he get like four hours of sleep a night. I feel like I, man, I would love getting nine hours of sleep a night. My God, actually, this this is uh, almost this is a little embarrassing for me to admit, but I I do follow J Lo on Instagram. Okay, don't fucking judge too hard. And uh, and there was some post uh, recently, I think, or maybe it was a news story that popped up about her because she's she's turning fifty, and she looks fucking phenomenal. Like how the hell? Are you almost, not that 50 usually looks bad, but I mean, she looks great for 25. She, looks, she just looks great for any age. And she said uh, sleep was like the main ingredient in uh, her looking good. Just getting plenty of sleep. Must be nice. Must be nice. Um, also, uh, studies show that people who don't get at least seven to seven and a half hours of sleep are, are not as efficient as those who do, which makes sense to me. Uh, I've been getting, yeah, I've been getting eight hours lately and I do feel like a different person, uh, than I was for like this past year when I wasn't getting much sleep. Uh, like I'll, I'll admit I haven't murdered anybody in, I don't know, weeks, not even, not even one person, not even one person. 
Um, no, among the most common consequences of a large sleep debt are attentional lapses, reduced short-term memory capacity, impaired judgment, and the occurrence of micro-sleeps. Now, a micro-sleep is a short period of time, usually between 10 seconds to a minute in length, where the brain actually enters a sleep state regardless of what the person is doing at a time. It's like where you can kind of like, like, like look awake somewhat but actually be asleep. Now, uh, you ever done that when driving? I have, and it's fucking terrifying. Not in many years. I remember one summer in high school, I was working full time. I was trying to sneak in these uh, Taekwondo lessons before work and, you know, I'm hanging out at night with friends and I got so tired. I, I remember just uh, like wait, popping awake and in the middle of driving off the road. Not fun. Not fun. Don't do that. Figure out a way to get some sleep in your life. If that's happening to you. Not worth uh, going to prison for vehicular manslaughter. The affected individual often doesn't even know what a momentary that a momentary blackout has occurred when this happens. These microsleeps combined with attentional lapses are thought to uh, be to blame for the oil spill of Exxon Valdez years ago, the nuclear accidents at Chernobyl, Three Mile Island, uh, the loss of the space shuttle Challenger might have been uh, the result of uh, some microsleep. Um, so get your sleep before you fuck up and kill somebody is a message. Also, when sleep deprivation becomes great enough, the effects mimic those of psychosis. A man named Peter Tripp, who endured a 200-hour sleepless marathon over eight sleepless days to raise money for the March of Dimes, became increasingly distorted, and, uh, and there were marked periods of irrationality. By the end of four days, he could not successfully execute simple math tests. In addition, he began to have hallucinations, distorted visual perceptions. At one point, Tripp became quite upset when he thought uh, that spots on the table were insects. He thought there were spiders crawling around the booth and even once complained that they had spun cobwebs on his shoes. On his last day, a neurologist was called to examine Tripp before sending him home. When Tripp looked up at his doctor in his dark old-fashioned suit, he had the delusion that the doctor was an undertaker who was trying to take him and bury him alive. Overtaken with fear, he let loose a scream and then bolted for the door. Half-dressed, he ran down the hall with doctors and psychologists chasing him. Oh my God, that'd be so funny to watch. He could no longer distinguish the difference between reality and nightmare. So, you know, he didn't... He didn't handle it as well as Randy Gardner. Sometimes, you know, you lose your shit. But again, not even he lost it to the point that you're ripping out your insides. So now that now that you know uh, about this sleep experiment, let's beef up your ex- expertise regarding how a tale like the Russian sleep experiment could go viral and be thought to be real. Researchers have studied tales like this, uh, like this and the Slenderman tale, and they think they figured out like the key ingredients that are necessary to make a horror tale uh, kind of go viral and take over the web. Sarah McGuire, content editor at Vanage or Vengage, Vengage. I don't know why I said that first thing. Vengage website that creates infographics for clients uh, shared a visual report detailing exactly what it takes for a horror story to go viral. Uh, she read and analyzed samples of 72 of the top creepypastas across the web. She then identified the seven most common ingredients used in top stories. Uh, in order from most to least common, they are number one, unexplained phenomenon. Her, this is 71% of the stories had this, an aspect of this at least. Her report found that humans are most thrilled by the unknown, things that we will never understand. The story needs to involve a strange occurrence or a creature whose origins are unknown but has a lasting impact on our psyche. Number two, first-person narrative. 68% of the stories had this. The report argues that if a story is told as a personal account, there's always the possibility that it might be true, even if you know that realistically it couldn't be. The Russian sleep experiment was actually the only story out of the top 10 that wasn't told in a first-person voice. And that makes total sense to me, man. If someone's telling you something they saw, even if they have no proof, I mean, you're just left with, you know, determining, like, are they a liar or are they telling the truth? And if you don't think that they're lying, you know, even though you haven't seen something like that for yourself, you, you can choose, I guess, to believe, you know, that they saw what they claim to have seen. A lot of people do this, man. I mean, I mean, really, if you, if you think about it, all of religion is based on choosing to believe the firsthand accounts of other people 
who claim to have seen or experienced this or that. You know, first-person narratives are the main source by far of all paranormal accounts. You know, the best horror movies ever made based on someone claiming to have seen uh, this horrific thing or, or have this horrific thing happen to them. You know, something that there's no scientific evidence of. Number three, monsters and supernatural beings, 61%. The success of the Russian sleep experiment is attributed to the fact that these monsters actually come from a real human place, which makes them seem more plausible. This also explains the popularity of Slenderman. Number four, cliffhangers, 53%. This is common of horror movies or just, uh, you know, uh, book chapters and TV shows. Like you leave the reader or viewer uh, with a chill and keep the mystery alive. The report notes this is especially effective in cases where the reader is left to question whether something similar could happen to them. Murder is number five at 46%. Goes without saying that most people are afraid of murder. Yeah. Which is why it's a plot device in almost half of these stories. Number six, creepy images, 24%. Uh, this, as we said earlier, is how Slender Man originally began, the result of a Photoshop contest. Uh, users on a form were asked to digitally alter an ordinary photo to take a to turn it into a creepy internet legend. So, you know, and that can be hard to shake. You know, this is the whole seeing is believing phenomenon. And then number seven is creepy videos, 6%. The rarest of the ingredients, only two creepypasta stories originally used a video, according to McGuire. She notes that most of the time, videos are created by fans of a viral story after it's already become famous. Most times, they start off with pictures which also makes total sense to me because easier to fake a photo than it is to fake a video. You know, unless you have access to like top-notch CGI kind of software and, and the talent of someone getting hired by, a, you know, a major motion picture studio, you know. Uh, and, and that person, that person who, who does have that kind of talent and time probably is not making creepypastas. Uh, McGuire's report found the stories for uh, which used four of these ingredients, no more, no less, gave a story the best chance at going viral. The Russian sleep experiment, the most viral creepypasta story on the web, with a total of 64,000 shares, a little over, as of her report, used the four ingredients of an unexplained phenomena, murder, monsters, and a series of creepy images of poor black and white quality to suggest they authentically match the time period. So that's that. So if you want something to go viral, McGuire says those are the ingredients you use. And here are some basic other rules to follow. Tell a personal anecdote when possible. It will make you seem more relatable to the reader. It can be used in virtually every writing context to add color to a story. Get your Photoshop on, obscure creepy images that aren't quite bad, you know, or too polished enough to uh, to read false tend to work really well. Slenderman is an example. And finally, leave readers wanting more. Cliffhangers are deliberately frustrating. You know, you want a satisfying end. You want a conclusion. And instead, you're just left with questions. Readers are more likely to share these type of stories because they want other people to come up with the answers they want, you know. So, uh, so there, so now, now you're a little bit of an expert and, uh, what it takes to, to create a uh, fake horror. So now let's play, let's play a game. Would you like to play a game? Let's see if you can differentiate the utterly outrageous from the ridiculous, but true. I'm going to tell you four tales. Two are totally real. One is online folklore. I found that someone else made up purported to be true, obviously fake. And another is a tale I just made up today. Uh, using some uh, some of the elements of how to create a good old horror tale that we just went over. So again, two true stories, one made up from the web, one I made up. Try to guess which is which. I'm excited about this. I haven't done something like this in an episode before. Uh, you're getting used to my horse shit, right? You should be able to detect my lies. Let's find out if you can right after we hear a word from today's final sponsor. Time's Up today is brought to you once again by Woody's Paranormal Rape Repellent. Hi, guys. It's me again, Woody. Your friendly puppet paranormal investigator. Your dummy demonologist. You've been hearing about a lot of spooky stuff today. And the more dark tales you listen to, the greater the chances that a demon or some other naughty ghost is going to start haunting your home. And once they get to haunting, 
It's only a matter of time before they poke around your bottom or maybe your front bottom. So please, buy a can of my paranormal rape repellent. Buy today and I'll throw in a free demon detector nightlight. If it ever turns off, you'll know one of four things has happened. The batteries are dead, the bulb is burned out, the power is down, or you got a dangerous demon in your room and you might not make it through the night. Time to start praying and spraying. Wee! Of course that's not today's final sponsor. Fucking Woody! No. Today's Time Suck is brought to you by Simple Contacts. Simple Contacts lets you conveniently renew your contact lens prescription and reorder your contacts from anywhere in minutes. I like anywhere. I like in minutes. Anywhere in a short amount of time is good. It's vision care for the 21st century. The Simple Contacts vision test is self-guided and takes less than five minutes. It isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye exam, uh, full eye, you know, health exam, but it will save you so much time when you need to renew and reorder. My favorite part of the Simple Contacts experience was saving money. The vision test, only 20 bucks, and their contact lens prices are unbeatable. And standard shipping is free. Wee! You can see the demons even better. Hey, get out here, Woody. Anyways, you get $20 off your contacts at simplecontacts.com slash timesuck20. Or enter code TIMESUCK20 at checkout. That's simplecontacts.com slash TIMESUCK20. Or enter code TIMESUCK20 at checkout to get $20 off your contacts. A link to this great deal to make it very easy in today's episode description. Take care of those papers, creepers, and save money while you're seeing this amazing world of ours a little more clearly. And now back to our game. Four stories. Two true. One is made up web lore. One is a story I just made up. Try and guess which is which. I'm going to take a quick sip before we do it. Okay. All right. Got the, got the pipes. Got the pipes a little bit lubricated. Let's get into it. Here's our first tale. Tale number one. Humankind has long sought proof of the existence of God. In 1983, a team of deeply pious religious scientists allegedly conducted a radical experiment in an undisclosed facility. The scientists had theorized that a human without access to any senses or ways to perceive stimuli would be able to perceive the presence of God. They believed that the five senses clouded our awareness of eternity, and without them, a human could actually establish contact with God by thought. An elderly man who claimed to have nothing left to live for, quote-unquote, was the only test subject to volunteer. To purge him of all of his senses, the scientists performed a complex operation— in which every sensory nerve connection to the brain was surgically severed. Although the test subject retained full muscular function, he could not see, hear, taste, smell, or feel. With no possible way to communicate with or even sense the outside world, he was alone with his thoughts. How terrible is your life going when you volunteer for this experiment? Like, how sad are you? Uh, Hold on. I'm not going to be able to see, hear, uh, taste, smell, or feel anything again, ever? <sighs> all right, I can, whatever, let's do it. I don't like today's music. Uh, all I can usually smell is my own farts, and I don't like that. All I usually eat is food that tastes like farts, and I don't like that either. All I see is a blank while I stare out in between my food and my farts, and all I feel is a deep sense of loneliness and occasional tear on my cheek. Yeah, nothing to live for. Let's do it. I'd like to have some words with God about how shitty my life has been. Uh, scientists monitored the test subject as he spoke aloud about his state of mind and jumbled third sentences that he couldn't even hear. After four days, the man claimed to be hearing hushed, unintelligible voices in his head, assuming it was an onset of psychosis. The scientists paid little attention to the man's concerns. 
Two days later, the man cried that he could hear his dead wife speaking with him. And even more, he could communicate back. The scientists were intrigued, but were not convinced until the subject started naming dead relatives of the scientists. He repeated personal information to the scientists that only their dead spouses and parents would have known. At this point, a sizable portion of scientists left the study. Yeah, I bet they did. Uh, I wish he would have said like what exactly, like like what information was shared. Like what secrets was he bringing up that the scientists, you know, couldn't uh, bear to uh, to listen to. <laughs> Your older dead stepsister says she knows you got a boner when you watched her in the shower that one time when you guys went to Knott'sbury Farm for vacation. All stayed in the same room and she thought you were with mom and, and left the door open and your dead grandma says her spirit was in the room while it happened. And your grandma says another time she watched you cut a small hole into the back of a couch. And after your parents would fall asleep, you would put a small bag full of lotion. And then you would take off your boxers and you would stick it. That's, that's enough! These guys are full of shit! It's, I'm not, he's lying. This guy's making it up. He's pissed by not having senses. It's obvious lies. No, he says your first wife left after she looked into your internet browsing history. Found you had a secret subscription to cruelbitches.com where nude women kick and stomp and slam their asses down on naked men's penises and balls repeatedly injuring them. That's it! That's it! Quit! I've never... That, hey, it's a total normal fantasy. It's an accepted subculture within the BDM world of a masochistic sex slave. I shouldn't be ashamed of that. That's a real, that's a real website, by the way. If you want to have your day ruined, go, go to cruelbitches.com. Oh, my God. After a week... Of conversing with the deceased through his thoughts, the subject became distressed, saying the voices were overwhelming. In every waking moment, his consciousness was bombarded by hundreds of voices that refused to leave him alone. He frequently threw himself against the wall, trying to elicit a pain response. He begged the scientists for sedatives so he could escape the voices by sleeping. This tactic worked for three days until he started having severe night terrors. The subject repeatedly communicated that he could see and hear the deceased in his dreams. Only a day later, the subject began to scream and claw at his non-functional eyes, hoping to sense something in the physical world. The hysterical subject now said the voices of the dead were deafening and hostile, speaking of hell and of the end of the world. At one point, he yelled, no heaven, no forgiveness, for five hours straight. He continually begged to be killed, but the scientists were convinced that he was close to establishing contact with God. After another day, the subject could no longer form coherent senses. Seemingly mad, he started to bite off chunks of flesh from his arm. The scientist rushed into the test chamber, restrained him to a table so he could not kill himself. After a few hours of being tied down, the subject halted his struggling and screaming. He stared blankly at the ceiling as teardrops silently streaked across his face. For two weeks, the subject had to be manually rehydrated due to the constant crying. Eventually, he turned his head and despite his blindness, made focused eye contact with the scientist for the first time in the study, whispering, I have spoken with God, and he has abandoned us. And his vital signs stopped. There was no apparent cause of death. A follow-up study in 2000 included in San Francisco, California, excuse me, conducted in San Francisco, California, points to this insane experiment being more possible than you might think. It states that a study of degenerative disease, which targets the motor function and cognitive decline, often leads to hallucinations of the deceased. The death of targeted cells and chemicals in the brain by this disease leads to a loss of smell, among other senses. And the cause of death is unknown. Hallucinations uh, present in 39.8% of patients fall into three categories. A sensation of a presence of, you know, like a person, a sideways passage, commonly of an animal or illusions. Present in 25.5% of patients is uh, is formed visual hallucinations. God dang it. Uh, They form visual hallucinations. 
And uh, an auditory hallucinations present themselves in 9.7% of the people studied. So how freaked out are you going to be if you find out that one's true? Are the other three stories going to be equally insane? Yeah, probably. Maybe more so. Time for story number two. In 1952, an hour southwest of Buenos Aires on a remote farm on the seemingly never-ending plains of central Argentina, authorities found an abandoned medical facility hidden under a large barn in the middle of an over 500-acre farm where former Nazi doctors, including Dr. Joseph Mengele, had been continuing experiments on twins. Someone had tipped the doctors off and no arrests were made for there was no one to be found when the police arrived. But they did find evidence of horrifically evil experiments. Journal entries mentioned more experiments on twins um, with, uh, with one set of surgically conjoined twins living a full eight days after being attached from hip to shoulder, both of the twins having one of their arms being removed uh, yeah. in order to attach their shoulder joints to one another. Blah. Uh, there were the preserved corpses of infants in formaldehyde jars, victims of electrocution, starvation, freezing, and amputations. And then after discovery, a second lower level to the basement, the police found one victim still barely alive when they arrived. A man determined later to be Javier Borges, only 23, the son of a local farmer who disappeared six months earlier, had survived the amputation and reattachment of all four of his limbs. Both arms and legs had been surgically removed and then reattached facing the wrong direction. While the sick operation had rendered both of his legs completely functionless, his arms both had limited movement capability and he was able to somewhat drag himself along the floor while lying on his back. Javier had gone completely insane from the pain he was chronically in but was still able to scream for help when he heard the police. It was later determined that the procedures must have occurred about six weeks before finding him. My God! Can you imagine waking up from uh, that kind of horrific experiment? Would you, would you be glad on any level that you were still alive or would you just want to die at that point? And the pain, every single movement would be agony. Uh, I found some pictures on a pretty shady face of death type website where you can actually look at fo- uh, photos of journal entries about this as well. And it's very, very hard to look at. I do not recommend it. He looks beyond miserable, of course. Uh, what is even learned in that experiment? How, how do you justify that on any level other than just being an evil sadist? Uh, Javier was rushed to Hospital Hospital Britannico in Buenos Aires, died on the operation table when surgeons uh, tried to re-amputate his legs. Uh, One of it had become gangrenous. After realizing what had been going on out in the middle of the farm, the lead detective who tracked down and found this facility, Ricardo Lamas, began looking over missing persons reports and found a burial site on the farm and determined that at least 26 people had died at this facility. Uh, the death toll may be closer to 250. Many, many, many missing people uh, disappeared between 1947 and 1952 in a 50-mile radius around the farm. How many Argentinians did those war criminals murder? Worst of all, despite Detective Lama searching for the doctors until he died in 1991 at the age of 83, none of the doctors were ever caught, and there are rumors that they were able to construct a new medical research facility in Brazil where they may have carried on experiments until the late 1970s. Detective Lamas fervently believed in a second facility. He said once in an interview about his pursuit, evil does not retire. Evil continues unless a stronger good is able to stop it. Uh, Dr. Uh, Mengele would live until 1979 when he died a free man in Sao Paulo, uh, Brazil. So did this happen? Did Nazi scientists really do that to some poor bastard in South America after World War II? Definitely a little far-fetched. Uh, uh, crazy that they could escape and make it to South America. Crazy that they would get right back, right, bleh, right back to work being monsters. And uh, yeah. Story number three. Let me tell you about Cropsey. Let's talk about Cropsey. The New York City borough of Staten Island was once home to the real-life monster known as Cropsey. And who's Cropsey? Cropsey is the creature that lurks at the end of your block, a shadowy figure that prowls the edge of the playground. 
Cropsey was Staten Island's personal boogeyman, gaining national attention in 2009 with the documentary Cropsey. This film outlines the origins of the Cropsey legend, where according to lore, an insane man with a hook for a hand terrorized neighborhood boys and girls, dragging them into the crumbling ruins of Staten Island's abandoned Seaview Hospital. Parents use the tale to spook their little ones at night, go to bed, or Cropsey will get you. But as the documentary points out, Cropsey is based on someone who is all too real. He may not have had a hook for a hand, but in the 1970s, a local drifter named Andre Rand allegedly began attacking the children of Staten Island. Rand, born Frank Russian, worked as a janitor at the Willowbrook Strait School, an institution for mentally disabled children not far from the ruins of Seaview Mental Hospital. During his 40 years of operation, Willowbrook, Willowbrook repeatedly came under fire for the mistreatment of its students. A young Geraldo Rivera revealed the institution's hard conditions to the public in a 1972 expose. By 1987, the school was shuttered for good, and at that point, uh, the real Cropsey was also unleashed. Andre Rand left Willowbrook. Uh, but many believe in his, uh, who believe in his guilt also believe uh, his time at this notorious facility, uh, you know, where he saw all this abuse led to his own alleged crimes against children. The first youth to go missing in the string of disappearances was five-year-old Alicia Perara, vanished in 1972 after playing with her brother. Second was seven-year-old Holly Ann Hughes, spotted with Rand on the day of her disappearance in 1981. The third was 11-year-old uh, Thais Jackson, disappeared in 1983. The fourth, Hank Gifario, 22-year-old with a low IQ, last seen with Rand at a diner in 84. The bodies of these victims never recovered, all added to the lore of Cropsey. Final child to go missing was Jennifer Swiger in the summer of 1987. A 12-year-old with Down syndrome, Jennifer told her parents she was going for a walk but never returned. Massive search party commences. Neighbors comb the empty lots in wooded parks of Staten Island. At this time, you know, the real-life Cropsey is living in a series of makeshift campsites near his old stomping grounds, Willowbrook State School. He's been living out in the woods for years and years and years. While searching for Jennifer near the shuttered school, a firefighter uncovers a small foot in the earth, ultimately gives way to Jennifer's body buried in the shallow grave, and then Rand's camp is discovered shortly thereafter. And authorities quickly arrest and charge this strange man with murder. In the court of public opinion, the case is open and shut. Rand was an ex-con with a record of crimes against kids. In 1969, he was arrested in the South Bronx for attempting to rape a young girl. In 1983, while working for a Staten Island school bus company, he kidnapped 11 kids, brought them lunch, and then drove them to New Jersey's Newark International Airport for no apparent reason. Why are they letting some fucking weird dude in the woods drive a school bus? Uh, very little concrete evidence that, linked Rand, that actually linked Rand to the actual murder of Jennifer Swiger. In 1988, he was ultimately convicted of kidnapping in the first degree and sentenced to 25 years in prison. The jury was unable to reach a verdict on the murder charge, and so it uh, fell through. But then in 2004, just four years shy of becoming eligible for parole, Rand was put on trial again, this time for the 23-year-old case of Holly Ann Hughes, the second child to go missing, the one who disappeared in 1981. Prosecutors presented new evidence, and Rand was convicted of kidnapping the little girl and sentenced to another 25 years. And uh, the rest of the cases remain unsolved. So how creepy is that, man? Some murdering pedophile just living out in the woods near an abandoned state hospital, kidnapping, raping, killing kids who wander too far from home. Cropsey was exactly the kind of person I worried about when I used to play in the woods as a kid, man. Wander too far from uh, home, you know, where no one can hear you scream, and then some fucking hillbilly creep tracks you down uh, like you're starring in some kind of Wes Craven movie. So is that real? Is that real? Uh, is that something I made up? Something I found that was made up? Time for the last story. Uh, let's talk about the testicular transplants of Dr. Leo Stanley. That's right. Ball transplants, nut swaps. Uh, and this didn't happen recently. It happened a uh, hundred years ago when doctors were way worse at doctoring. Whiskey, laudanum, sir. Starting in 1913, lasting all the way until 1951, Dr. Leo Stanley was San Quentin's chief of surgery. 
San Quentin, uh, infamous part of California's state prison system, located just north of San Francisco. It's the oldest prison in California, having first opened in 1852. And Dr. Stanley is uh, one of the monsters who spent time in San Quentin, just now, uh, you know, behind bars. Dr. Stanley became obsessed with both rejuvenating, quote unquote, the masculinity of some prisoners and with the sterilization of others. Stanley believed that the decline of white male vigor would lead to the downfall of the moral values of the United States. In short, he worried that undesirables, quote unquote, would reproduce faster than good people. Uh, basically, he feared a decrease in the number of white Americans uh, if, if the prison population wasn't sterilized. We, we've talked about this concept in previous sucks. Germany wasn't the only nation in the first half of the 20th century to have its politicians push for a eugenics program to eliminate breeding from those deemed by the state to be undesirable. So Stanley thought he could invigorate aging white men by giving them the testicles of younger, oftentimes African-American prisoners. Yep. He thought it was a good idea to put young black balls in old white nutsacks. Uh, doing this, Stanley believed, uh, would save the white race. Did I fucking mention he was the head surgeon at the prison for almost 40 years? What the fuck? In addition to obviously being super racist, Stanley also clearly didn't know how testicles work. Uh, while a testicle implant is actually physically, theoretically possible, it wouldn't create your sperm. How weird is that? It's not your testicle. You know, it, it would create the testicle donor sperm. So, you know, I guess theoretically, you'd have somebody else's nuts and just go around pumping out their babies. Uh, for several decades, Dr. Stanley removed the testicles of various inmates, convincing them it would make them healthier, not telling them it would make them impotent. And in the early 1900s, uh, totally legal for him to do this. Involuntary uh, sterilization was actually legal in California. He also wanted to see how the testicles of young, healthy men could rejuvenate older men, specifically older white men. So he would graft the testicles of these young African-American men onto the older, often senile white men to see if it you know, added a spring in their step, brought their mind back. It, it didn't. Uh, when he wanted to conduct a new transplant, but didn't have any young prisoners, uh, that the warden would allow him to sterilize. There was randomly a law about how many people you could sterilize in the same prison, uh, in like a certain time frame. He started using goat, boar, and deer testicles. He would pound the newly detached testicles of, of these animals into a paste and then inject it into the prisoner's stomachs. And some, some of them claimed to feel healthier and more energetic after this bizarre treatment. Uh, old time doctoring. So fun. Uh, but their feeling of rejuvenation was likely probably just a placebo effect. You know, they probably thought it would make him feel good. So maybe I guess it did for a second. Whenever I read about shit like this, it just makes me super skeptical towards today's doctors. Like I know doctors save lives. I know they're doing a lot of good stuff. But, you know, these old timey doctors, they believed they were doing good stuff. Just like people's doctors, you know, just like doctors do today. This wasn't some, this wasn't some fucking guy doctoring on a street corner for free. You know, he actually made it to the position of head surgeon. I mean, head surgeon in a prison hospital, but still head surgeon until 1951. Man, are you sure it's a good idea to take some other guy's balls and put them on my balls, doctor? I mean, it seems, this seems fucking crazy. I assure you the procedure is both safe and effective. I haven't remained head surgeon for over 20 years by giving men bad balls. <laughs> no, it's, it's quite simple, actually. Uh, we tied down uh, one of the prisoners in cell block D, uh, some guy with, the, with a great pair of balls, just fantastic nuts, super balls. And we just we snip them right off uh, while you're here on the operating table. Uh, you know, we, we, and we just, you know, we, we just attach, uh, their, their nice, healthy, plump balls to your useless kind of sad, shriveled balls. And while they're still warm, uh, we just graft them on there, you know, just firm, not side by side with your old raisin skittle nuts. And then, uh, you're going to have so much balls and you're going to be able to ejaculate clear across the San Francisco Bay. <laughs> or my name is in Dr. Fucking Maniac. Stanley finally retired from San Quentin in 1951, took a position as a doctor aboard a cruise ship where he stopped stemming off balls and uh, probably just, I don't know, handed out sleeping sickness pills. 
As far as we know, Dr. Stanley uh, never got into trouble. Never got into trouble. And he died in 1976 at the age of 90. Or did he? Or did I just make up all that stuff so I could have an excuse for some ball jokes? Maybe. Which stories are true? Which two stories are true? Which one is something I made up? Which is something I found? You ready? If I can lock in your choices. Here we go. Number one, sensory deprivation, allowing you to see and somehow communicate with God and the dead. That's the first choice. Number two is Nazi medical facility with a still alive tortured patient discovered in Argentina, 1952. Number three is the tale of Cropsy, Staten Island's real life fucking boogeyman. And number four, Dr. Leo Stanley San Quentin's ball swapper. Here's the answers. The first story, the tale of that sensory deprivation in an attempt to communicate with the great beyond is made up web lore. Like the Russian sleep experiment, it comes straight from creepypasta, pure web fiction. It's a story called The Gateway of the Mind, first posted on April 10th, 2013, original author unknown. Uh, The second story about the Nazi medical facility where a man was found still alive with his limbs put back on backwards was pulled out of my ass. Uh, Did you believe it? I tried to use the ingredients for getting a uh, horror story to go viral. uh, viral. I incorporated murder, uh, the evil doctors, you know, they killed some test subjects. Uh, I tried to incorporate a cliffhanger. Uh, you know, the, the, the guys were never out there. Maybe they could still be out there, I guess. Maybe still being alive, you know? Uh, and, and I listed a police officer description, giving him a name, you know, as I wanted to have a firsthand account of somebody witnessing this. So did I fool anyone? You know, I even pulled an Ike. I added a fair amount of true, you know, details to the fake story to make it seem more real. Uh, Dr. Joseph Mengele did escape to South America after World War II with other Nazi officers, and he did die in Brazil, a free man in 1979. Uh, the Cropsey story. The Cropsey story is real. There was a legend of a child-killing boogeyman living in the woods of Staten Island. Former Willowbrook, uh, Willowbrook janitor Andre Rand did fulfill that macabre legend, everything I said. Uh, and then the fourth one uh, was the uh, the ball swapper, right? And uh, and that also is real. How fucked up is that? Swapping balls for years at San Quentin, right, right here in the U.S. of A. Uh, actually, I keep saying swapping, but taking and passing along is, I guess, more accurate because he wasn't giving the guys who lost their balls uh, anything in return other than just pain and limpness. So how'd you do? How accurate were you? Uh, if you nailed all four, congratulations. Good judgment, good recognition. If you missed a few or, you know, or all of them, well, let this just be a reminder. You know, it's not believe everything you, you hear on the web, everything you read on the web. I'm continually amazed and horrified when I bounce around on YouTube, Facebook, whatever, by how often people confidently post absolute agreement. They are certain that utter unsubstantiated bullshit on the web is definitely true. Some things are up for debate. Some things are not, but people passionately debate them anyway. Uh, There are no reptilians secretly running our government. The earth is not flat. High-ranking European officials are not hunting naked kids in some private fucking game reserve. We're not being poisoned by chemtrails as part of some Agenda 21 depopulation program. The Freemasons are not in cahoots with Satan in order to secretly control the economy. Slenderman is not real. There was no Russian sleep experiment. We did land on the moon. More prominent scientists, a lot more would question the moon landing if we did. The Sandy Hook murders, the Vegas shooting did happen. No false flags, right? There's no uh, there's no evidence credible of Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster or the Area 51 has any link at all with actual extraterrestrials. We live in the golden age of information. There's so much great content out there. So many carefully conducted scientific studies whose results you can read and digest in just a few clicks for free. So many documentaries featuring First-hand interviews with important academic and historical figures, vast online libraries full of carefully written texts covering the entirety of a, cu- of a crude human study and knowledge. It's incredible. But there's also a lot of fucking bullshit. There's ass clowns like Alex Jones and David Icke just presenting slander and uh, manipulative nonsense as reason and fact. 
and, and, I, and I think it would do all of us a lot of good to watch a free four and a half minute, this is no sponsor, there's a free four and a half minute Ted Ed video on YouTube. I'm including the link to it in today's episode description. For real, I've added it beforehand, so I don't fuck it up again. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's about learning to decipher good information from bad info. It's about critical thinking skills. Uh, just a really quick little video that helps you pick the healthiest, most sensible, you know, like uh, just uh, choices in life, you know, like if you wanted an exercise and diet plan, if you're looking to lose or, you know, weight or gain weight, it's going to help you, uh, you know, uh, set yourself up for the best for retirement, these kind of thinking skills. It's going to help you vote based on your actual ideals, find that right job, pick that right school, give you the best odds at something as trivial as picking a fantasy football team, you know, at least the best team on paper. Critical thinking, man, so important. Uh, it allows us to understand bias and manipulation, differentiate it from objective fact. In some cases, it allows us to differentiate between what feels right and what is right. It's about applying skepticism to decisions. Uh, the video breaks down a five-step critical thinking method that I'll go over here real quick, just in case you know you don't want to take time to watch it. I know it can be a pain in the ass. So here we go. Number one, formulate your question. Actually understand what you're asking. Know what you're looking for. Be precise. Like, uh, like for a diet, what are you trying to do with the diet? Are you trying to lose weight or are you trying to lose body fat? Those two aren't always the same. Uh, are you trying to get smaller or are you trying to get stronger and healthier? What really is the goal? A precise goal allows you to search for the most effective diet in this case to attain it or to attain your goals. You know, uh, Number two is gather your information. There's a lot of info on the web about any given subject. What info should you gather? Have a clear idea of your question. Back to step one here. That helps you understand what information is pertinent you know, to what you're trying to uh, you know, learn. Gather information from experts in the field of study relating to your question. You know, uh, sticking with the diet example, read an article written by a certified nutritionist published in a peer-reviewed journal should have a lot more weight to your decision than a fucking YouTube video, you know, created by, uh, you know, an Instagram model with a great body, but no formal education whatsoever nutrition. A thigh gap does not equal expertise. It can just equal, you know, good genes and starving yourself. Uh, nutritional science equals expertise in nutrition. Like a degree, you know? Uh, number three, apply the information, ask critical questions. Is my interpretation of the information logical? Am I ignoring portions of the information I'm absorbing simply because it doesn't emotionally align with what I want? Am I allowing emotional thinking to override logic? Do my nipples ache when I think too hard or wear abrasive fabric on a cold day? Does eating too much peanut butter make it harder to wipe my bottom? Should I ignore the last two things Dan said because they don't apply to the information I am looking for? Yes. Yes, you should. Uh, four is consider the implications. Let's say you read about a weight loss per, uh, prescription pill that has been approved by doctors. However, do you think it's a good plan to have to take a prescription pill to lose weight? Or does it make more sense to find a plan centered on sensible meal selection and an active lifestyle? Do you always want to be dependent on a pill? You know, what if your insurance changes? What if the cost skyrockets? What if your income changes? What if the pill is so, uh, you know, something no longer offered? Does eating sensibly feel more cost-effective and easier to manage long-term? That's the implications there. Uh, five is, uh, when was the last time you came? How clear is your head? How are you avoiding the gym because you're afraid you might get a boner or might completely soak clean through your panties and even through your light-colored yoga, yoga, <laughs> yoga pants? Not yogurt pants. Why do you even own yoga pants that reveal moisture? Why do you wear yogurt pants? Why do you wear loose boxers and sweatpants that provide zero boner protection? Don't you think it's time you had sex or jerked off or DJed your own private vagina rafe? You'll think more clearly if you do. Maybe take a nap. Naps are also good for clear heads. That's not step five. No, you knew that. You knew that because you applied critical thinking to my wackadoodle rant right there. And because I said yogurt pants instead of yoga pants. Yogurt pants sound fucking disgusting. Uh, step five is explore other uh, points of view. 
Ask yourself why so many people are choosing, you know, with the example we've been using, uh, nutritional or workout plans that you're not choosing, that you're not considering. Are they seeing something that you're not? Always good to consider other points of view before making a final decision. Do flat earthers have a good argument regarding their beliefs? Should we be able to see the curve if the earth is round? No, no, we shouldn't. And they don't. Uh, they're just really, really bad at science and refuse to take the time necessary to appreciate the true magnitude of Earth's size and the limitations of human sight. That makes seeing the curve fucking impossible. But seriously, examining an, opposing point of, uh, in a, in a, examining an opposing point of view should never scare you. If you're wrong, it's an opportunity to get it right. And if you're right, it's an opportunity to strengthen your already existing beliefs. Now, let's apply these five critical thinking steps to the Russian sleep experiment. You know, number one, let's formulate your question. My question initially was, did the uh, Russian sleep experiment actually happen? Number two, gather your information. I did a quick Google of, did the Russian sleep experiment actually happen? I used the question. Came up with numerous articles that discuss top viral creepypasta stories, mo uh, most popular modern folklore, origins of the Russian sleep experiment, etc. All of the articles I found between 10 and 20 all pointed to the same place, uh, a, cre a creepypasta Wikipedia entry on August 10th, 2010. All right, the user who posted goes by the handle of uh, Orange Soda. But the author's real name was and is unknown. It was posted on an online forum uh, thread devoted to seeing who could drill, drill up the best urban legend. I also gathered information on the effects of sleep deprivation in general, what happens when people are deprived of sleep for long periods of time, memory loss, paranoia, hallucination, exhaustion, uh, irritability, not ripping out chunks of your own flesh, or becoming immune to pain, or possessing superhuman strength. Number three, apply the information. Ask critical questions. Why would the scientific community hide sleep deprivation leading to superhuman strength and the inability to feel pain if that was true? Why isn't there any scientific documentation online that even alludes to uh, this experiment being possible or happening? You know, there's zero credible smoke in this case, so I determined that there's uh, zero credible fire. Uh, consider the implications. Number four, what are the implications of this study being true? I mean, I think if it were true, other studies would have been conducted uh, in the years since to build, uh, you know, for example, some super soldier based on this initial test. But that didn't happen. Zero evidence uh, that in the roughly 70 years since supposedly happened, uh, anything else similar happened, which tells me that this thing probably did not happen. Five, explore other points of view. Uh, I did in today's Idiots of the Internet. Uh, no one I have found who either believes this to have had uh, to happened or have happened or believes that it's possible to have happened um, lists a link to even one scientific study or one piece of investigative journalism that suggests something, anything at all uh, could happen to make this even remotely possible. So final verdict, always orgasm before making important decisions. Don't wear yogurt pants. Uh, no, final verdict is of course that it's not true. Sleep experiment didn't happen. And now it's time for top five takeaways. Time suck, top five takeaways. Number one, the Russian sleep experiment is an example of modern horror folklore. The fictional account of Russian researchers in the late 1940s keeping five test subjects awake for 15 days using an experimental gas-based stimulant. The goal was 30 days, but self-harm set in long before that, and then the uh, test subjects attacked and killed some of the guards sent in to end the experiment. Number two, the longest time anyone has stayed awake while being scientifically monitored that we know of was a San Diego high school kid named Randy Gardner who made it just over 11 days without any major incident in 1964. Number three, like Slenderman, the Russian sleep experiment became popular on Creepypasta, a website devoted to fan-generated paranormal and horror tales, tales that has also spawned Jeff the Killer, Ted the Caver, and other modern viral urban legends. 
Number four, use critical thinking skills when making decisions. Formulate your question, gather your information, apply the information, consider the implications, and explore other points of view. Number five, new info. While not getting enough sleep is not going to make you go fucking berserker and start ripping out your insights and lashing out at anyone who tries to uh, you know, take your magic gas away from you, it actually can make you more violent. A 2016 article in the Journal of Psycho- uh, the Psychology of Violence or actually a journal called Psychology of Violence, suggests that sleep problems play a far greater role in aggression than researchers may have previously suspected. Authors Zlatan Krizan and Ann Herlach of Iowa State University point out the different ways that poor sleep can release aggressive, can help release aggressive impulses and fuel violence. Along with case studies showing that violent offenders become less aggressive after being treated for sleep problems, brain research indicates that poor sleep can influence our ability to control impulsive behavior. It also appears connected to how we emotionally respond to threats. Animal research has shown increased aggression in rats following REM sleep deprivation. Poor sleep could amplify aggressive tendencies in humans in different ways. First, lack of sleep generally increases negative emotions such as fatigue, anxiety, depression, Other research shows that anger and irritability can increase as well. Poor sleep can also lead to great physical discomfort and pain, including headaches, stomach aches, flu-like symptoms. As sleep debt increases, we become more sensitive to pain and emotional triggers that make us more likely to respond aggressively. So get some sleep, you short-tempered, irrational, cranky pantses. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Russian sleep experiment has been sucked. That was a fun change of pace. I hope you liked it. It was fun for me to kind of shoehorn in that little critical thinking tutorial. It was just a good excuse for me to watch that video myself and uh, take a bunch of notes and, you know, help remember that stuff. So important with all the all the media spin that goes on, all the political spin that's always going on, you know, that we make the most effective and accurate choices that we can. You know, every time you do that, you're just increasing, you know, the odds that you're going to have a, a more successful life. Go kick some ass, you meat sacks, and tell me about it. I love tales of time suckers getting what they want out of life. And making this uh, for sure round planet of ours, you know, a better place for all of us to live in. Uh, thanks again to the Time Suck team, High Priestess of the Suck, Harmony Velikamp, uh, Jesse Guardian of Grammar Dobner, uh, Reverend Dr. Joe Paisley, Time Suck High Priest Alex Dugan, the guys of Elixir, Danger Brain, Space Lizards, and Merch Wizards, Axis Apparel, Queen of the Suck. And another special thanks to OG Bojangles researcher Heather Knowledge, <laughs> Knowledge Ninja Rylander. Uh, next Monday is Veterans Day. At least uh, when it will be observed. And this uh, coming Sunday, November 11th, is the Queen of the Sucks birthday. And also the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I. Germany formally surrendered on November 11th, 1918. And our space lizards voted the topic on the app of World War I to be our next space lizard selected subject. Well well played. Well played. Good job, guys. Uh, guys and gals. And, uh, and while technically the sucks should come out on November 19th, we're going to bump it up a week because of the anniversary. Finally, another military suck, a big one, a huge one. I think the suck is going to be epic. Uh, World War I began in 1914 after the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand and lasted, just like I said, until 1918. During the conflict, Germany, uh, Austria-Hungary, Bulgaria, the Ottoman Empire, the Central Powers fought against Great Britain, France, Russia, Italy, Romania, Japan, and the United States, the Allied Powers. Uh, thanks to new military technology and the horrors of trench warfare. Probably going to be talking about that a lot. Uh, World War I saw unprecedented levels of carnage and destruction. By the time the war was over and the Allied powers claimed victory, more than 16 million people, soldiers and civilians alike, were dead. It's going to be a huge suck. How the war began, major battles, what it led to uh, after it was all over. 
Uh, especially hope that all of our military listeners who we appreciate very much enjoy this suck. And uh, so that's next week. And now to end this week's episode, let's get into some Time Sucker updates. Updates. Get your Time Sucker updates. First up, scary story from Time Sucker. Megan, holy shit. How do you say your last name? Uh, Schmelzen? Schmelzenbach. <laughs> I don't know. Megan writes, hello, Master Sucker. Listening to the Ed and Lorraine Warren episode and just paused when you asked for ghost ball encounters. Not an actual ghost ball, but when I was about four, my family lived in a house where the previous owner had died of a heart attack in the basement and wasn't found for two weeks. A handful of freaky things happened in the five weeks we lived there before moving. One time at breakfast, my entire family was seated at the table and we heard footsteps coming up the stairs. God, that's not fun. Uh, Another time I was watching the Cosby show in my windowless windowless basement room and saw a shadow of a man when my dad wasn't in the house. Another time, my mom heard a heartbeat too fast and uh, rapid to be my 18-month-old brother uh, brother's heart on the baby monitor. But, of course, no one was in his room. Huh. Uh, we can never go barefoot in the house because, for some reason, there were always stickers, like those kind you find in pastures. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, embedded in the carpet. Like I said, we made it five weeks and then bailed. No one in my family has ever had another ghostly encounter since. Now that I'm grown, I always burn some sage when moving into a new place just to be safe. Yours truly, Space Lizard Megan. Wow, man. Ah, moving out after five weeks. That's a good decision. Get out before the demon raping begins. You know, smart family. You don't want to You don't have to call Woody. You know, sorry about the carpet stickers, Megan. That's no fun at all. At least you didn't get held down and licked by the prickly fork a ton of Baphomet. Like this one family I met back. That's enough, Woody. Glad you're safe. Glad you're safe, Megan. Burn that sage. Uh, next up, more scares being reported by Time Sucker Hope Williams. Hope writes, all hail the suck king. I am contributing two comments to the most recent suck, demonologist. Uh, the first, my own personal ghost story. And the second being, well, a fuck you. Ah, I love those. Um, <laughs> Grandma used to live in this house where an old woman had died a, sh- a short time prior. She told me stories about seeing this woman, but my grandmother was legally blind due to retinous pigmentosa. Uh, <laughs> I love this parenthetical along with being a drunk since it's not like she could pass her time watching TV. Although I was telling my mom about your podcast and she said that my grandmother would have loved it. So I just brushed it off as her being crazy. She said she'd walk around the house with freshly baked cookies while humming, but she was also born completely deaf in one ear, so I dismissed that as well. Until one night when my older sister and I were sleeping over, I heard humming. I smelled something sweet. In the corner, oh my God. In the corner of my eye, I saw a dark silhouette of what I swear to be that woman holding a plate of cookies humming. That just fucking gave me the chills. Uh, my sister was asleep, but when she woke up, she told my grandma uh, and I that she had a dream about that same woman. Ah, and ah, fuck you. You got me with the fucking ventriloquist hoax. Ah, to the point where I immediately paused the podcast to tell my mom, who used to uh, own this Charlie ventriloquist doll that she would torture us with when we were, when we were kids, only to find out you made it all up. So I had to tell uh, the master, had to tell her that the master sucker finally got me. So thanks for that. Oh, no, I didn't make it out, Hope. I- I'm Woody, just a totally real demon hunting puppet. Wee! Uh, Hope continues, regardless, I love your podcast. And I spread rep to suck everywhere I go. I was lucky enough to see you twice in the same month earlier this year uh, at a live suck in Orlando and at a comedy show in Tampa. I was the girl with a loud squeal of a laugh that made you do the space lizard sign in a picture. Yes. With mixed feelings of love and remorse. Space lizard, Hope Williams. Uh, love you, Hope. Thanks for sharing that awesome message. Uh, so glad I got you with Woody. 
Next up, Time Sucker Nathan Cruz reminds me of how important the Time Sucker uh, community has become for many of you. And for that, I am very, very, very thankful. Uh, Nathan writes, this message actually isn't for you, Master Sucker. It's for the Cult of the Curious group on Facebook. I want to give a huge, massive, colossal thank you to them for helping me when I was feeling the lowest I've ever felt ever. I'm still on 100%. Hell, I'm still on even 30% most days, but I am so thankful for the amazing people, their kind words, and their insane thoughtfulness. This is a thank you there for you too. Uh, or there is a thank you uh, there for you too. Without you, I would have not uh, f- have found these wonderful people to thank. I have thanked them, but I was really hoping you could thank them for me also on an upcoming Monday episode. Done. Done. The thank has went down. And thank you, Nathan, man. Thanks for being awesome, dude. Thanks for being a valued part of the Time Suck family. Uh, stay strong, brother. Uh, link to the cult of the curious group Nathan's talking about in this episode description. I hope you're up to at least like 60, 70% today. Uh, and I hope it just fucking keeps getting better. I hope you just keeps sucking your way up, man. Uh, Time Sucker Walter Williams, not as happy with his suck. He's frustrated. He's frustrated with a recent sponsor. Uh, let's hear about it. He says, uh, Walter writes, complain about your sponsor. A while back, I heard some strange noises in my attic. I assured my wife it was the plumbing, but she nagged me until I got out of bed and checked it out. She was right. It wasn't the plumbing. Up there in the dark, hunched over, was an eight-foot-tall red horn and cloven-footed demon. I tried to run, but the damn thing was too fast and unfortunately very horny. When it was over, I stumbled down the stairs and back to bed. Not wanting to scare my wife, I told her it was the plumbing. And I had to throw my back out on the ladder. Next time we heard the noise, I was ready. I took a crucifix and holy water with me, but it didn't work. He laughed at the cross, and when he saw the holy water, he said in a growl, Oh boy, you brought lube. Later, as I laid in bed recovering, listening to your podcast, I felt overjoyed to hear about Woody's spectral rape repellent. And I ordered some immediately. I made sure to read and reread the directions. And when I heard the noise again, I thought I had him for sure. Yeah, it didn't work. Not a second had I breached the attic entrance. When the door slammed behind me and from the dark, I heard, be honest, how long is your wife going to buy the plumbing excuse? Sincerely, one very sore customer, Walter Williams. Sorry about your pooper problems, Walter. You must have gotten a bad batch. We had a factory recall in some of our spray. Not enough wasabi. Wee! Why does he always wee? Why does he always yell wee at the end? Thanks for the message, Walter. Hope you're feeling better. And now for a, a real scary message from Time Sucker Charlie. Wishes to remain anonymous. A reminder that the spousal abuse I talked about in the Catherine Knight episode, how women can beat men just as well as men can beat women, is unfortunately very real. Charlie writes, Dear Dan, while listening to episode 110, The Horror of Catherine Knight, I noticed you brought up the subject of reverse spousal abuse. I can tell you that it is all too real. It may not be as prevalent as male and female violence, not by a long shot, but it's definitely a reality. I have been a victim of it. A woman I had relations with a few years back didn't quite fit the extreme mold of Catherine Knight, but she was definitely abusive. While I was with her, I was subject to fits of rage, including punching, clawing, scratching, biting, ooh, man, verbal and mental abuse, unprovoked. I've never hit a woman or physically attacked her, nor would I ever. I would rather shoot myself in the nuts than ever raise a hand to a lady. But I put up with it because I was a weak person back then. I didn't know how to acknowledge these things other than she's damaged and had a hard life. She's young and I'm a man. What man gets abused by a woman? It took me years to even realize or even comprehend that she might have been actually legit abusing me or that I, might, or that I myself might have grown up with an abusive mother. I lift weights, I'm covered in tattoos, I drink beer, enjoy the female form, I watch sports, I love cars. I have various forms of metalhead band shirts, camo shorts, and black clothing because fuck society. Hail Lucifina! By society standards, that is considered manly. What man gets abused by a woman, many would say. 
uh, if not worse. Well, I was. My mother repeatedly beat me in my younger years, liked to manipulate me from friends and being social, uh, along with various other things I'd rather not get into in an email. Man, fucking sorry to hear about this, dude. Uh, she would show great fits of neediness and love, followed by dark turns of betrayal and animosity towards me and people I tried to connect to. I just figured she was being an overprotective mom, but it was never normal and made me feel trapped and alone with no one around to help me. What I do know now, and I'm willing to admit, is that it led to many years of depression and teenage drinking and some drug use and plenty of nights spent obsessing over suicide, including two attempts on my life. When you grow up in an abusive environment, one tends to look at the actual abuse as normal and part of life. When you're a grown man, you are held to a standard that men do not get abused by women. And if you are being abused, it's because you're some sort of pussy. When I dated the woman in question and others before her, I often tended to just regard or just disregard their abusive tendencies as being normal and part of their nature. I often found myself attracted to women who were damaged and grew up in abusive homes themselves because they were the only ones I felt I had a legit connection to and could relate to. The problem was they, not myself, ever sought to get legitimate help for our problems and ailments. What, uh, we let it feed off of itself, uh, which only manifested in terrible, sad outcomes. But deep down, I knew something was wrong and that it wasn't normal to have someone lie to you, cheat on you, or physically attack you out of nowhere because it's just in their nature. To show great fits of love and neediness only followed by fits of rage and targeted harassment and abuse. Just because you live with low self-esteem, emotional, and psychological issues does not make you weak. It means you're lost and you need help realizing what you're going through. I would urge anyone who feels alone, sad, or quote-unquote damaged, who grew up in a, an abusive situation or are currently in an abusive situation to immediately seek true professional help. There is no shame in letting a doctor heal you of your ailments, and there is no shame in admitting that you may have a problem. The longer you let it go on, the more you start to accept pain as a reality, the more prone you are to hurting yourself, hurting others, or being hurt by those who themselves are broken and left unchecked. Thank you and your team for all the great work you do. Truly an amazing show. Praise Nimrod and the sweet, sweet voice of Triple M. Yeah, I'm going to be there. Ah, I had to throw it in. You said that. I just did it. Sincerely, Charlie. Well, thank you, Charlie, for sharing your story, man. Someone who... uh, may really need to hear it, now actually does get to hear it. Uh, and, and exactly right, man. Getting help does not make you weak. It actually makes you strong. So don't put up with shit. You know, don't put up with abuse, man or woman. You know, it's not normal. It's never okay. You deserve better. You know, it's not your fault that they uh, they have, you know, problems that they feel leads them to this abuse. That's not your fucking problem. You're a time sucker. So you're one of the best of the best. You deserve an abuse-free, kick-ass, happy life. We all do. Uh, hope I get to see you one of these days, Charlie. Hail Nimrod. And now one last message, quick shout out to some time suckers who just got engaged. Time sucker Alicia Johnson writes, hello, almighty and powerful time suck God. This is my first time ever contacting you, but there is something I want to tell you. As my boyfriend and I were hosting a Halloween party at our house, he got on one spooky knee and (laughs) proposed to me after eight years of being together. I just wanted to see if you could give us a shout out on your next episode. Hail Nimrod. One spooky knee. I love that detail. Love. Congratulations, Alicia. Wish you all the very best. Hope your honeymoon isn't filled with angry spirits trying to sneak into your fun holes. Shut the fuck up, Woody. That's all the quotes for today. Thank you, Time Suckers, very much for those updates. Thanks, Time Suckers. I needed that. We all did. Thanks for listening again, everybody. Thanks for making this the most fun project ever. Stay curious. Use those critical thinking skills I know you have to kick some ass in life. Uh, Don't try to stay awake for 30 days and definitely go to bed if you start to eat your insides. And keep on sucking. I'll eat 
eat your insides, time suckers. I spent one too many nights around demons, and I'm thinking some crazy thoughts. Whee! Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.